We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we got a special guest, a reoccurring guest, as Nick and I like to say. Little joke of the show is once you are on a second time, you join a different tier in the Big Blue Banter podcast lore, history, and everything like that, Sean. So we're really excited to get Sean on. Obviously, he was on just a few weeks ago to break down the Vikings matchup in the regular season. Now he'll be breaking down the playoff matchup. Sean, why don't you... Introduce yourself just to anyone who may have not heard the first podcast and tell everyone where they can find your work. Dan, appreciate that. I'm so glad to be, you know, in the Big Blue Banter Hall of Fame. Obviously, that's that's going to be a badge I'm going to keep wearing for for a long time in my life. Uh, guys, just check me out on Twitter at Side Schemes, S-Y-E-D Schemes. I've been writing for the Vikings this year, but I just love football. I love breaking it down. I love talking about it, learning about it. And I've been able to do some work for Ollie Conley. He runs uh, his read optional sub stack where I've been writing a lot of stuff on Big Fangio, I'll get into more Kyle Shanahan stuff and just things that I think is it's fun to look at for people that like football. So go ahead and give me a follow, you know, shoot me a DM. You got some questions. It'll be fun for us to talk. Yeah, Sean is a great follow. So anybody, I encourage you to go over there and do that. Sean, I want to start with a simple question. How are Vikings fans and people who cover the Vikings, what are their feelings going into this game right now? Is it pessimistic? Are they optimistic? Do they think they can beat the Giants? What's going on with Vikings Nation at the moment? Vikings Nation always just on a roller coaster. Again, I know I said it last time, my first year on it, I'm not on as a part of Vikings Nation, not going to pretend to be a lifelong Vikings fan. That's not me. But just seeing like my thread is now all purple on, on Twitter, you know, I get all these different things coming up. And I think that Vikings fans, particularly, are tired of doing the, hey, we need to prove that we belong thing, right? Like that's over. We're now, we're in the dance, right? You can't say the Vikings aren't in the playoffs. I think that also the next thing is, Oh, the thought from Giants fans, maybe, or people in general, oh, the Vikings need this kind of game-winning field goal to win this game, which is true, like a, a record-breaking field goal for the Vikings. And I think, you know, for Vikings fans, it feels like, all right, well, this is the time where we can start to really kind of put to rest that thought of, oh, this team isn't serious. You know, if you're coming to the playoffs in your first year as a head coach and winning a, winning a playoff game, I think that's something that's a really kind of a program-building thing. So def- definitely nerves, though, because I feel like this is a game where last time it came down to the wire and a lot of bounces kind of went to the Vikings. So something that 
I personally am nervous about where I think that maybe other people are a little more confident than I am. One thing I think is interesting based on that is something I read or heard today when I was just scrolling through Twitter. It was, I believe, Ed Donatel, the Vikings defensive coordinator, talking about how he has set guys on his defense to help calm the nerves during the week. And this is exactly what he said. He said, you know, he's Dalvin Tomlinson to calm the nerves on the D-line for these people who haven't been there before him. And he has um, Patrick Peterson on the back end. And I was just thinking, like, that approach is so totally different from everything I've heard from the Giants coaches this week, which is all, like, steam ahead. Like, you know, we're not nervous, we're confident, all that type of talk and, and that type of emotion. So it'll be really interesting to see those two sides go at each other from a psychological standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I think Donatel's press conference today was pretty cool because – uh, oh, look, I love Ed Donatel. I know there are so many criticisms of the defense. I think a lot of them are warranted. Some of them, maybe not. I'm a fan of your guy through and through, so I stick up for Ed Donatel. And I don't know, so it's it's not uh, really like a, a direct thing, but he just like feel felt a little different today, which is such a lame thing to say as someone who calls himself, you know, a scheme analyst. But <laughs> it felt like there was a kind of a different confidence in the way he was talking, and that he's really empowering the players to, as you said, you know, they're really I think taking control of those rooms and feeling like, hey, you know, Zaria Smith's been banged up a little bit, getting him back. You know, I know that the Giants had that first, uh, that all, like, players all pro list, bookend left tackle, but, you know, maybe we get get on that right tackle a little bit and have some fun on defense this game. That's where I wanted to start with you too, Sean, is the right tackle of the New York Giants, Evan Neal. Look, we saw, and it was exactly what you predicted, the way that Ed Donatel employed Zadarius Smith. It wasn't necessarily, obviously, over... Evan Neal, but it was over like Mark Lewinsky, and then he would kick over to one technique sometimes. They just used him all over the place, and the Giants had to account for him. But what that allowed the Vikings to do was align someone wide of Evan Neal and just rush up the pass rushing arc, send him high side, and Evan Neal really struggled. I mean, he gave up, I think, seven pressures. I think he was only credited with one sack on PFF. It was kind of two, though, one with DJ Wan and one with Daniel Hunter. Is that kind of the Vikings' main game plan right now is just attack the right side of the line, attack Evan Neal, and get after Daniel Jones to try to stifle the Giants' quick passing attack that ate up the Minnesota Vikings in Week 16? I think in a, in a lot of ways it is, right? The same thing we talked about last time where a good defensive coordinator, I think, puts his players or their players in the best situations to succeed, right? We want to get our best pass rusher on your weak links on offense. And Daniel Hunter, I thought, actually had a really good game against the Giants in Week 16, too, which was extremely encouraging. I think he's a great player and had a great season. But now we have, okay, Zaria Smith, who I think is a really, really high-end rusher, getting healthy. He got to rest last game, and he's I think he's going to have his you know, his pistons are going to be firing, but Daniel Hunter also kind of pushing that way where now we're not just saying, okay, we want to have one guy where we can move around, but now we're saying, Hey, we're plus two on the defensive side where we're, you know, favoring two matchups. And that allows you to, if you only rush four and are getting pressure. And it's something I think we'll discuss about on the giants. end. it allows so much flexibility on the back end, allows you to play with lighter boxes at certain times. And look, if you can get to the quarterback with four people, the offense is going to have a bad time. And, you know, that one statement, I think, can kind of define this game really on both sides of the ball where we have two offensive lines who they're, I think that the teams would admit, you know, they're maybe just weaker points at a little bit where you have bookends on one side and the other side maybe facing a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's interesting, something you mentioned a bit earlier about how you can just feel the difference listening to Ed Dontel Earlier this season, just before the first Washington Giants game, Saquon Barkley mentioned on a Thursday of that week that he felt like he had the best practice he's had all season, and he said it just felt different. And it's really interesting that it somehow did coincide with, before that, he had a six-game stretch of the worst, by far his worst stretch of the season. Then since that moment where he had that 
you know, click in practice, he's been back to what he was earlier in the season. So I wonder if that will impact the Vikings defense. But do you think there's going to be major changes in what they do from a schematic standpoint in this game after kind of being like Nick talked about a little bit earlier, not carved up and in some ways carved up by the Giants pass attack, a pass attack that really hasn't carved up that many defenses this year? Yeah, I think that the Giants did a really good job, you know, particularly in quick game. And then also kind of some of those vertical attacking shots where Nick was mentioning it before uh, to me before the show, but just, you know, getting in different kind of stacks, getting those switch releases. And to me, I think the Vikings played more man covers than they're used to. And it was part of a trend where the Vikings were moving more towards kind of tightening up that coverage. And I think Kevin O'Connell, one of his pressers uh, this week was saying, hey, you know, against the Giants, there were too many situations where we still let too much air in that coverage. You know, we had too much separation from the receivers. So to me on the Vikings end, I thought their game plan was good. Like I'm fine testing the Giants receivers. Now I will say I have a lot more respect for the Giants receivers after watching them for a full game and, you know, the way they perform. Absolutely. But to me, the things that may be hard to replicate from last game versus this game is, well, let's make those 50-50 shots. Let's, you know, let's flip those in our in our area, right? There were there were some really, really sick catches from the Giants receivers that were vertical shots that I think if you can tighten up in just in man in your regular man coverage looks on defense, that's going to cause stress for the offense. Now, what I'm I'm sure that they probably prepared for for the first game was different kinds of runs from Daniel Jones, which we didn't really see. And I'm ex- I have to expect Daniel Jones to get close to ten carries just because of the way that if you have a quarterback who can run the ball at that level that stresses so many different parts of your defense It, you know, it might slow up a defensive end a little bit where we're saying, Hey, if we feel stressed about our right tackle and Zadarius Smith coming over him, well, let's, let's read him. Right. And then if it's something where the defense at the second level or second or third level has to bring a nickel off the edge to kind of get into the fit. Well, that's when, you know, Dable and Kafka, I think can really dig into different things where, you know, it's counter RPOs or different ways to kind of swing Saquon Barkley out. So I, you know, I was thinking about this a bunch and thinking, well, why, what would I really game plan differently and it's not that I would change that much, but I think it's going to have to be prepared for something that is going to be a little different. And even with Daniel Jones, you know, quick game success, I think the Vikings are comfortable in a way saying, okay, if you're going to kind of, you know, dink and dunk, you're going to get your five and six yards down the field. Eventually we trust that the play is going to happen where Patrick Peterson undercuts yeah. that route kind of coming across the field. Right. And that's really the, the defensive philosophy in a lot of ways for the Vikings where if you're going to make play after play after play after play, look, you're going to score no matter what defense we put out there. But if we can, you know, just keep making life a little harder. So I would anticipate, you know, seeing similar man coverage looks, playing tight. And I think hopefully if they can, you know, execute just their technique a little bit better, I think it could, you know, be a longer day for that Giants passing attack this time around. I'm glad you brought up Daniel Jones and his rushing attempts because he only had four for, I think, 34 yards with a 14-yard long. But one of the runs that he had was one of those most important runs of the season when he set up that fourth and two 27-yard touchdown scamper by Daniel Jones. But Dan, we didn't really see him attack the B-gap, I don't think, against the Minnesota Vikings yeah, right. too much. That one was one, I think, where he rolled around the side. And I found that to be a little bit surprising because the Vikings employ an even front. And it seemed like they were wide of the tackles and they were rushing up the arc so frequently. And now, they played more man than usual. And they played a lot more man coverage than usual. So I'm glad Sean brought that up. I really think that is something that maybe this Giants coaching staff will stress. If you don't love what you're seeing, Daniel Jones, and this is so consistent with everything that Daniel Jones has done this season, take that B gap, use your legs. It's just, it seemed like the Giants actually had open receivers a lot of the time against this Viking secondary. And I wanted to ask you, Sean, too, man, on top of that, was that Patrick Peterson's worst game of the season against the New York Giants? Because it seemed like, I know he had the interception, which was phenomenal, and I still have so much respect for PP. He's such a good, and I love when people refer to him as PP. That just makes me laugh. 
but he's still a really good cornerback. But he bit on a couple of those double moves that led to the really long catch by Isaiah Hodgins. And then he got turned around really bad on a slow go route from Darius Slayton. So I haven't really watched an extensive amount of Patrick Peterson this year. So I wanted to ask you, was that just kind of uh, his worst game or has he kind of been slipping a little bit down the stretch of the year? You know, yeah, Pat Pete uh, has he's been really interesting to watch this year because he you know, he finds ways. He's a really, really smart player, I think, and that he can still use his brain to make huge plays. Right there's the game-winning interception against the Bills, which one comes to mind. Right, like I know he talks about it. He, I think he has his own podcast or one of his buddies that he does a podcast with, and he talks through his film study. Right, he's like, okay, I know that these certain routes are going to come to attack our defense. Right, he's a I think he's a hungry guy too. Right, he wants to make plays. I think he's been that for his whole career. So I think not that he's prone to it, but he will jump on routes, right? If you keep running quick game, he's going to get hungry. He's going to get a little antsy and want to want to really step on that. And at the same time on the Vikings end, look, if you get an interception, it really, not that it fully erases those quote bad plays, but man, those like that is a huge, huge, huge momentum swing. So I do think Pat Pete is at a point in his career where he understands. I think that he's obviously, you know, towards certainly towards the back end of an absolutely amazing career where He's not locking up people in the same way, but he's also using different techni- techniques and things where I do think towards the back end of the season where he's been asked to play more man coverage and he will jump routes, right, for better or for worse. So I think that's something that I know that Dable and Kafka are, or have looked at, have seen, literally saw it in that game in week, week 16. And I would anticipate, you know, that's something that they kind of, they have to attack that again in some way. And Duke Shelley on the other end, who I just, I love, he's a former practice squad player from the Bears early in the season. You know, he's, you know, just played above his weight absolutely this year. But those are the guys you have to challenge, right? I think there's a lot of different parts of this defense where you can challenge, but, you know, make them cover you in man coverage, make them run across the whole entire field, you know, give them the bait, see if they can bite. And, you know, if Jones can hit those throws, that becomes certainly a problem for the Vikings defense. You guys got Shelly off of the Bears practice squad and, and Kyra Tonga. Tonga. Yeah, I, I, don't, hell, I, don't, I don't know what it is. And that it's crazy because, you know, Tonga is like, he's actually an important part of their you know, their base three, four look, you know, playing that nose, especially they have Dalvin Thompson, our guy, your guy, my guy, all oh, of our my guy, yes. Right. And <laughs> Harrison Phillips, where they can play those kind of four eye ends in those base looks where like, wow. Yeah. You just pulled these two players out of the practice squad. And these guys are going to be stars in the playoffs. Like Quasio Dofamensa, like I love the Vikings GM. He's been, he's, you know, constructed a really just a great roster off of these interesting moves like TJ Hawkinson too. But yeah, man, you know, the practice squad, they got playoff play- players on there too, right? There are a lot, a lot of really good football players. So I think sometimes just they just got to find themselves in the right opportunity to, you know, get that shine. I thought that was a really interesting observation you made, Sean, about Patrick Peterson a little bit earlier because, yeah, you think about that game. He gave up the long catch. He also gave up the double move that the Giants didn't throw. So there's one catch, one misplay, essentially, or whatever. Then he has the interception. Honestly, the interception may be more valuable than all those three. Like, the most valuable play by far is the interception. It took three points off the board. Like you said, it shifted the momentum back to Minnesota. And that's something that I'm focusing on in this game. Like, will these corners be even more aggressive against this quick game, against these double moves? Because now they've seen it all on film, right? They've, they've, they've played against it. They've watched themselves on film trying to defend it. Will they have different ways to kind of get aggressive against certain route concepts where they think the ball's coming into a certain spot. That's something that scares me, especially after listening to Kevin O'Connell, who was like, at least uh, in one of these breakdowns, he was like, look, I think that Daniel Jones has done a phenomenal job this year in the pre-snap portion of the game, like understanding what's going to be there after snap. He also said he's throwing the football better than he's ever seen him. And for me, when I hear these things from like other coaches, I take them way with way more, uh, you know, 
weight than like when it's the players and the coaches from the same team from the Giants team. So it's something I was thinking about, like, seems like the hyper focus is on stopping the Giants quick game. And I think at least for the beginning part of this game, Kafka is going to come out with a very similar style of offense to what they did against the Vikings the first time. Yeah, I would definitely expect to see a little more, not like huge disguise where you're seeing, you know, safeties rotating across the whole entire field, but maybe where it's, you know, hey, we're going to start at that kind of eight to 10 yards off and we're going to push down and get into tight man coverage kind of in that post snap. And, you know, Don loves, or I think their idea is, hey, we want to win that first second of the snap, whether it's, you know, safety rotation, a little bit of switch up from the cornerbacks, then of course in that pass rush too. So I would expect a little more disguise, whether it's, you know, as I said, guys playing off coming up. And I think that's, you know, a good way to combat that quick game. And then, you know, it's just that cat and mouse game of, hey, well, when are the Giants going to dial up that shot? And, you know, right. Daniel Jones is really hitting those balls that first game. Is he going to have that same action the second game? Like, are we going to be able to speed him up um, through the pass rush where, hey, we can get there with four? And, you know, if that perfect ball is just a little bit off one way or the other, you know, that I remember that one catch up the, I think, the right sideline where, you know, that guy's catching it really on, on his fingertips. Like, that's a beautiful ball, but that there's not really a lot of margin for error there. So True. I would expect a little more disguise, I think, on the back end from the Vikings. You know, I think Harrison Smith got a nice rest week as well. So got guys healthy, got guys, you know, hungry to make some plays where that's maybe one good way to fight back against a quick game. I'm wondering if you guys do employ a little bit more man coverage. If the Giants will just kind of do what they kind of did through the, I would say the middle portions of the game with Saquon Barkley, the guy ended up having 10 targets. I think he caught eight of them for 40 something yards, if I'm not mistaken. It seemed like every time the Giants saw man coverage and they had Saquon Barkley releasing towards, could have been a stack, but it was typically a two receiver side. That linebacker had to work across two in-breaking routes, and then it kind of set a pick. And the Giants were happy, I would say, to just execute that pass to Saquon Barkley. And it's not like the Giants really burnt the Vikings with that, but I do think that could be a big part of the game plan. And I'm wondering if Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks, how they have been kind of on the entirety of the year in dealing with man coverage against backs, not necessarily as talented as Saquon Barkley, but just in man coverage in general, because you guys haven't really run it that much until recently. Yeah, I just think like playing linebacker in the NFL has got to be just such so a hard. drag in so many ways, Sucks. right? Like play action, you know, obviously if you so much fitting the run and like now you're going to have to get even further back on your drops, just the way that I think offenses are attacking. And I will say, I think that, you know, yeah. they would be honest about it too, that they have struggled, you know, against play action and then certain times, I think, against the Packers early in the season was a good example where you're right, right? Like, teams understand how to attack that, right? They're going to give you traffic and force you to chase that where you have to work over things or your defense kind of morphs in a different direction. And actually, I was a little bit impressed in that in the Giants game because it was the first one of the first times I saw it all year where it's like, oh, wait, we got, you know, three guys kind of buzzing to the flat pretty quick and ready to make a play. So I think they played it well this time. Where to me on the Giants, then that says, hey, you know, maybe we use that the same way we use our quick game as bait, where we're going to, you know, pump that, that quick swing to Saquon and, you know, throw a vertical route over the top. Because especially, you know, when you get the nickel involved with having Shannon Sullivan kind of pushing down on those routes, I think you can have your number two receiver get into vacated space. I think that's something that the Giants should look to do and will look to do because I think that overall the Vikings were, were pretty good at it um, towards the end of the season, which was cool because it was a long road of watching it'd be really, really difficult, right? <laughs> and so it's cool to see those guys who, even them, I think they would say, you know, they're towards the back end of, the, of these really, really great careers. But, you know, they, they were still physical with Saquon in a lot of ways. And obviously Saquon had that huge, that's like, that is a real game-breaking run, and he's always going to have that ability. But on the Giants end, I would, I would force those linebackers to keep on working, right? And even that, the fumble that Brian Osamoa caused, like that was on play action to an open guy. 
right? And what right. I really like about Kafka and Dable, who I'm just going to keep on complimenting these guys because I think Dable should win coach of the year. And I don't think it should be, I maybe it's a little close, but still, but like they understand how to attack a team that's going to get into man coverage all the time, right? Stacks, mesh, play action where the linebacker has to cover this back, but he still wants to fit up the run and let's get him a little uneasy. So using those kind of different tools, the Giants have a lot of tools in the bag where even when the Vikings, I think are, they're still finding their groove, which is crazy to say, I think in, in what is it, week 19 then, I guess. But a first year of a system, it's still, you know, a lot to clean up where linebacker play is so, so tough in general. So I would that would be a point where I would definitely want to attack if I'm the Giants. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and 
their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it. So I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Yeah, I was thinking about the first game, and I was wondering, because you mentioned it, Saquon Barkley had that game-breaking run to set up the touchdown, which set up the two-point conversion and tied the game. But from what you saw in film after you reviewed that game, what was because outside of that run, it really wasn't a successful day, really, for the Giants and Saquon Barkley in the run game. What did you see on tape from rewatching that game and reviewing that game that gave you confidence, I guess, about this matchup in shutting down Barkley again? Or also just in general, what did the Vikings do to stop Barkley? Yeah, I think I mean the the interior guys, Dalvin Thompson, Harrison Phillips, like those those guys are players, right? Like they're yeah. I know they come from wrestling backgrounds. I think they were both wrestling state champions. And like you see it in the way that they play, uh, just like the way that they understand leverage. Like you can see so many clips where Harrison Phillips is literally like putting out an arm, and that's like the technique that they teach, right? Where he can just leverage that so, so well and is showing so much strength, so much agility, and really so much athleticism where it doesn't have to be a situation where, hey, we need to stuff this box to do it. And to me, on the Giants' end, the, the way to respond to that is, like, I need to see Daniel Jones keeping the ball at different times, right? Because that flips the, the numbers just in the offensive advantage. And it's so hard to get those numbers back on the back end on defense. Right? I think the Eagles, obviously, you know, they're they're number, one of the best teams in the league. Like, the way that they use Jalen Hurts in different ways causes so much stress on, on a defense because – you know, you're at a certain point, you're out of options how to deal with it, right? So I think the Vikings have special, special interior guys who I, I am biased towards Alvin Thomas. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. Like, I just love watching the dude play. And I think that the way the Giants can get back in their favor is, you know, I think they did some fun stuff with RPOs where maybe maybe Daniel Jones' accuracy was just a little bit off, kind of left and right. But get Daniel Jones involved in the run game. And I think that Dable with Josh Allen too, right? It wasn't like Josh Allen was carrying the ball 15 times a game during the regular season. But when the playoffs came or, you know, now with Buffalo, like when, when things are on the line, like the ball's in his hands. And I think that Jones, it seems like maybe he's cleaned up some of those fumbling problems. So using him in the run game as a way to really jumpstart that, I think is something that that would really stress me out if I was the Vikings. That's a great point because I think that's going to happen. What you just prognosticated, like in the playoffs, all bets off. Like let let our quarterback run more than we would. Oh, that design, that quarterback power we saw once this year, it's coming back. I would think they were going to see quarterback power at some point in this game, maybe in the red zone or maybe elsewhere. But it's the playoffs. Why not? Which, dude, it's kind of crazy too because there wasn't one designed run for Daniel Jones against Minnesota. True. I'm pretty sure just off zone read alone, it doesn't have to be quarterback power, which we know Mike Kafka has employed. We've seen zone read plenty of times throughout this year. Like I'm yeah. trying to pull up the statistics right here. You look at Daniel Jones rushing attempts. There's a big fat zero next to Minnesota. There's not another zero all over the place. because so they don't account for rushing attempts as scrambles. And that's how Jones picked up all the yards on the ground. So I'm right there with you, man. Use that zone read, keep that defensive line discipline. And maybe you can spring some big runs with Daniel Jones and also keep that backside pursuit defender off Saquon Barkley's ass. 
and not to dunk too much on Ed Donatel, but maybe they didn't run zone because they really didn't have to in that first game, right? They were dominating, like you said earlier, Nick, with the quick game. Why go away from that if it was working? I don't think that's going to be the case this this game. That's why I think we will start to see some design runs from Jones this game. Not only it's the playoffs, you got nothing to lose, but it's not. I don't think Minnesota is going to come out and just be so helpless again against the same style of offense, and that that's what we'll find out. But that's how I feel. And they're not. And the good thing you mentioned, at least for Minnesota side, Sean, is. They're much healthier on the defensive side of the ball than they are on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the once the quarterback is involved in the run game, then it's all right, well, what do we do on defense? Like, do we need to kind of push our nickel into the fit and really, you know, are we sending him to take care of the quarterback or are we doing different things with scrape exchange where it's, you know, it's difficult when like these guys are just so athletic at quarterback. It's so cool to see where like yeah. that is such a base trait, I think, where maneuverability in the pocket, which obviously, I mean, I think Peyton Manning is like one of the best athletes to ever play quarterback. That's like a non-traditional way to think of an athlete in the same way because the way he handled the pocket, but escapability. And like, as you said, Nick, I think you mentioned it, which is interesting, which, yeah, Daniel Jones wasn't like bailing on pockets where, you know, obviously Josh Allen is Josh Allen and a top player in the league, but where he had success against the Vikings, like third and 15, drop back. No, okay, Diggs isn't open. Like, I'm just going to take off and lower my shoulder into Eric Kendricks with Josh Allen again. Like, that dude's super soldier. That's different. But that's a place where I think that, you know, Dable maybe gets reminded of those Josh Allen days a little bit in this game for sure. Sean, one question with the back end of the coverage, because the Giants love to run so many stacks, love to run so many switch releases. Have you guys banjoed at all? I haven't really seen much of that. Like, I feel like it's a lot of your defensive backs just following the guy that they're originally aligned across from. Yeah, I think that the their like base answers are, hey, when we're in man, we're gonna pretty much stick in man, and then when we are in our zone, we're pretty much gonna play like more like an off quarters look. So I, they're not like the, the they're not they're, that's just like not what I've seen. I think one way in the system, not that they use it a ton, is you know having I guess obviously when the safeties come down and kind of cut routes in certain ways. But there were I think a few, I feel like a few snaps that I watched where it was a stack where a guy was kind of coming open where either the ball got batted down at the line or something, but. That's something that I would be excited for the Giants to run if I'm on the Giants side. And then on the Vikings end, I don't think they're going to start Banjo in these routes here, right? It's not that they, they haven't played a ton of stacks. I'm sure these guys have practiced this, right? They've done it across their life in different ways, and you have to have different answers for stacks. But that's, I would, you know, lean the advantage toward the Giants when you see those kind of stack looks. Obviously, there's downsides to stacks, right? Like if you want to run vertical, like there's only like really two lanes that you can go through, and there's different things. And hey, maybe this is more of a quick game thing, but. You just got to com- conflict those defenders for a little bit, right? Get them off their spot a little bit. And I'd keep thinking of mesh, right? Like there was the, I don't even, I'm not even sure if it was mesh. I think it was, but that like deep, or it was a really shallow route where the receiver from the Giants caught it and got upfield so quickly and using stacks to create. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Slayton, our guy. Um, but just using those like, like mesh from those kind of stack looks to where you're having some guy coming from the other side is something where it seems like the Giants run that a little more often than they did against the Vikings. So something I think they might dig into as well. It's basically a drive series with Daniel Bellinger on the line of scrimmage. You have that big body. He just clears out the space. And I felt like the way the Vikings played that specific play, if I'm remembering correctly, the cornerback pushed and he basically isolated Jordan Hicks against Darius Slayton over the middle of the field. And I found that to be interesting that there was no chase or there was nobody to really help Jordan Hicks out against Darius Slayton. That is such a, a huge mismatch in the Giants favor there. Yeah. And just such a smart design, right? Like they're as a numbers thing. If you're running to the we or your passing concepts to the weak side away from the nickel, there's a cornerback in those quarters looks and those next guy inside 
might be a safety coming down, but more often than not is Hicks, who's the weak side linebacker. So yeah, make that guy cover that. Like it's the football is, I think in a lot of ways, a really, really complicated game, but it's such a matchup league where when we talk about the Vikings offense, we'll get into matchups as well, but the giants, Hey, you maybe don't have the best receiving core in the world, but the Vikings don't have, you know, the top six cornerbacks in this league either. Right. So get your best guy against, you know, the Vikings coverage guys who are like Jordan Hicks, maybe more of a run stopper or, you know, make him chase Saquon Barkley out of the backfield on a wheel. I'd be interested to see if they get Saquon a little vertical as well, because I think that's something that would be stressful. I think Aaron Jones had a, and I think Pollard as well had a clip of, you know, just just buzzing guys down the field with wheels. So I think I know that's in Saquon's bag. I'd like, I think I'd like to see that from the Giants as well. I wish Barkley was better in those situations. If I'm going to be honest, I don't love when I see Saquon Barkley running vertical. It's something that Dan and I have discussed on the podcast. But another thing that you talked about is just smart offensive scheming, right? It seems like the Giants are running a lot of those types of concepts at two by two sets, and they always use the number two receiver to the backside to clear out. And I think it was number 39, maybe, by the Vikings, who just got cleared out by a deep, it was kind of vertical, but it was more kind of crossing the middle of the field, horizontal cross by Richie James, which forced Jordan Hicks on Darius Slayton. There was nobody, no other cornerback to take that. And if you remember, Dan, the next week, the Giants came out with that same exact play, only this time the blown coverage happened to be uh, the deep dig route. More of a, yep. I guess you could say, was kind of a horizontal cross, which James just broke into space. And that ended up being, I think it was the second offensive play of the game. But like you're right. I, yards was, or I mean, 28 yards. It, it was a big play to Richie James. So I think that you're right, Sean. We're going to see a little bit more of those types of plays as well. I just love how the, the Giants this season have been using all the routes to work in conjunction with each other, which sounds like it should be, you know, common football one-on-one, but I just feel like over the last several offensive coordinators, we didn't get that as consistently. Yeah. I want to flip it over to the other side of the ball here and talk about the next matchup, which is the Vikings offense versus the Giants defense. I actually feel weirdly enough, based on how that first game went, I feel more confident about this side of the ball than I do the other, which is odd considering it was the total opposite in their first matchup. But I just think Donatello is going to find a way to adjust to what they did offensively a little bit. And on this side of the ball, I think there's a good chance that if, you know, whatever's going on with Bradbury, if he plays or not, even if he plays, I've, I've heard it's going to be an insanely limited fashion. Let's say it's not him and it's the back of who I think it will be, the third stringer at center. And then whatever's going on at right tackle, I talk with Matthew Collier, who covers the Vikings. He was like, the right tackle situation is basically as bad as it can possibly get going into this game. Like he's like, no teams have tackle depth. I'm like, well, Tyree Phillips. No, just kidding. But he's right. No teams really do have tackle depth. And now you've got a random right tackle who's not good and, and a third string center. So I think there's a chance the Giants just win this game up front. But I will say this about the Vikings offense and the first game. They found ways to create plays that didn't always like explosive plays that aren't really common to them this season. I was surprised to see this, Sean, but the Vikings have the 25th best uh, explosive pass rate in the NFL, just 6.9%. The Giants are dead last with 4.9%. But I, I vision them as like an explosive passing team. But I guess a lot of that is just Justin Jefferson and literally nothing else. Occasionally, KJ Osborne. Um, but they also then complement that, of course, with. They're the third best. They've had the third most red zone trips, the Vikings, and the eighth best red zone touchdown percentage. So they're good in the key areas. So what are your thoughts on what's changed going into this matchup for the Vikings offense and how they're going to kind of work around this offensive line problem they have? Yeah, the offensive line is is really where we have to start the conversation, right? Yeah. It's a weak link system. We talked about it last time where if you have one guy, you know, same thing on the Giants, then we think about it the same way, right? The Giants defensive line is just really good, right? Like they are just really good. Right. They have Dexter Lawrence. They have incredible players there. And I think that's going to be a place where if we look up 
and see the Giants up by 10 points, it's going to be because a sack fumble or like Tibbs off the end really causing those issues. Yep. So uh, the Giants, and I think because I would say the advantage is so far in the Giants defensive line in there, they can play with just four guys up there, right? I do think, of course, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going to send a blitz. Uh, they're going to want to, you know, heat up Kirk in different ways. But if you can get after it with four, you can really devote so many resources to Justin Jefferson. And I think the red zone is, is a great point where, like, KOC is just, uh, Kevin O'Connell is just a really, really good red zone designer. Wes Phillips, the whole entire crew, is so good at that. And we remember the Hawkinson touchdown, right, where he's, like, faking yeah. like he's going over and kind of breaking them back the other way. I see, you know, I, I know you guys are nodding no and, and feeling a little bit bad about that one, but that, that is just such good design from the offense. And so Irv Smith is coming back, and I was talking to Nick about this a little bit before. It's not that I think Irv Smith is going to have you know, 50 or like 15 cats or anything. But I think he gives them a little bit more flexibility in that one thing that the Vikings did is, you know, try and trap the Giants into, you know, heavier defensive personnel with the offense's heavier looks, right? So if you have technically two tight ends on the field in Irv Smith and Hawkinson, you know, you run just a, a run play off that, go into no huddle, and now Hawkinson becomes your second or third receiver where he is a legitimate vertical threat. So you can run really the same basic plays out of, what is essentially 11 personnel where Hawkinson is a receiver and, you know, that two tight end look. So it's a cool thing on the Vikings where, Hey, now we have more flexibility. Let's use the formations in different ways to get it. But manly, like, you can't just solve the problem of having those issues at the offensive line. And when it is that, like we think of the Bengals um, Rams Super Bowl, right? Like when you have a defensive line that is that dominant like, as compared to your offensive line, like everything happens a tick faster Right, like the run game is is really shut down in a lot of different ways, and that's got to be the biggest thing keeping up Kevin O'Connell at night. Right, like Justin Jefferson, you know, I think he can get his, but right. man, you know, if that those sacks and key situations, or even if it's look, there's going to be times where just the defensive backfield wins a rep, right? Like where things are covered, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be incumbent on the Giants' defensive line. Hey, we need to turn those sacks into turnovers, right? And where I think Kirk did throw a ball on an in-breaking route, I think it was Adam Thielen that Nick mentioned on the. Uh, before the show where, hey, that should be a pick on the Giants end where if that turnover battle or that like the sacks keep on staying in the Giants end, that's something where, you know, as if I was wearing a blue jersey, like that's something I feel confident in and something that like that is a huge, huge game changer. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when Wink Marndale was asked today about the third and 11 screen he gave him because you mentioned like maybe you just rely on and I'm kind of in agreement with you. Maybe you just rely a lot more on this front four and just say, F it. We have such a good matchup advantage. Let's drop those guys in coverage. But Wink Martindale may, kind of threw a little bit of water on that today. He was like talking about the big third and 11. They gave up to give up the game winning field. But he's like, look, do you remember the game earlier this season where Justin Jefferson caught that fourth and 18 in Buffalo? They rushed four and they dropped seven on that play. And he still caught that big pass. And he's kind of right. He's like, look, they rushed four and dropped seven. Nothing happened. Nothing better happened from that. And so he's like, this is who I am. He's like, basically, when I'm in those spots, I want to win the game. His call is to win the game, like get aggressive and try to win on defense. Don't drop. And so I don't know how much of it we're actually going to see that's different. I know the Giants, I've talked about this with Nick. They used more cover six. They did different things against the Vikings. They didn't just blitz Cousins all day like they've done for some of these younger quarterbacks earlier in the season. But I don't know how much is going to change and how much they are going to rely on that front four. Because I think just philosophically, this is who Wink Martindale is and this is who this defense is. Yeah, I think that, you know, like people are who they are in a lot of ways, uh, especially yeah. in the NFL. And I think that but KOC, he got to see a full game of that. And now he has more built in answers where, you know, screen game using stacks, different switch right. releases or like wheel routes to cause an issue. I think on the defensive side, of course, in a lot of ways, right, you should stick to kind of who you are. And 
the advantage I think on defense is if you can make yourself just a little unpredictable, right? Because if you are, are a team that blitzes all the time, blitzes all the time. And Hey, there's this third down where, Hey, you know, we drop out a little bit. That's going to cause, I think a quarterback to kind of pause a second. So I think he, I'm sure he's going to mix up his looks in a, in a way that is really bothersome. And Hey man, I mean, if again, you know, the quarterback can't, can't make a play with three guys in his face. So it's going to be something where I'm sure Wink wants to get that. And I know we all remember the clip of, you know, I think they, I think they sent five on the play where it's like kind of a spike one rat, uh, the Dave Aranda terms of running that pressure where both those linebackers are coming one kind of off the other on a hug rush. And then he, Jefferson was doubled and they still scored a touchdown. Right. So it's, yeah. it, you make such a good point. It's like, Hey, no matter what we do, like Jefferson's probably going to get his. So I do love that yeah. philosophy of, Hey, I want to go win the game. But I, I mean, I, I just, again, I'm, I'm super Fangio biased. I think he's a guy and Donatel by virtue of that is a guy who like, look, we're going to send four, but when we send pressure, we want to manipulate protection in some sort of way. So what I do really like that Wink does is forcing you to keep your running back in protection and not always sending it with a blitzer, right? Whether you drop it to defensive end or something. And that's another way to shift the numbers in the defensive advantage where, hey, if we only rush four, you have to keep your running back in. Now we're playing seven on four on, on the back end on defense. And that's, you know, that that can be a numbers advantage for the defense. So maybe, you know, I, we talk a lot about coach speak, like what things are saying, but you do make a good point. And like Wink's going to stick to his guns, but he's he's shown, I think, different tools in the, in this game and obviously against Washington as well. He's not just, you know, close the middle of the field the entire game. He's more than comfortable right. playing double teams, but I need to see those double teams a little more aggressive where Jair Alexander had a lot of success with it. I think the Eagles had success that put our best corner on Justin Jefferson and it's got to be an aggressive double team where again, Justin Jefferson has beaten that, right? Where he runs certain routes against the Lions or he splits it against the Patriots where that dude is special, right? Like Justin Jefferson is special, but it's still got to be a situation where, hey, we're going to challenge your best thing as much as we can and force you off of that in some sort of way. And pressure is one way to do it. I think I want to see those double teams that he already used are those shades and, you know, clouding and cover six and cover eight and that stuff. But like hands-on Justin Jefferson, I think is one way to, especially with the Dory Jackson, if he's coming back, that can, you know, push things in the Giants' favor a little bit. And that's what we're hoping too. I think Wink Martindale blitzed 47% of the dropbacks of Kirk Cousins, whether it be five or six man pressure. So they were really trying to get after it. And I'm really curious, Dan, it's something that we've been talking about all week. What the hell is actually going to happen? But we know the Giants are kind of aligning in more of those middle of the field open looks, a couple more safeties back. And I wanted to ask you, Sean, do you think that might lead to more rushing attempts from Kevin O'Connell in that offense, an offense that hasn't really been the best in terms of efficiency running the football this season? But theoretically, you don't have as many guys in the box. Do you think even with this backup offensive line, maybe they're going to try to slow the game down a little bit and give a little bit more opportunities to Dalvin Cook just running the football? That's a great question. And I think it's a great question because I think that's what Wink would actually want to happen, right? Like he wants to force you, or maybe not Wink specifically, but certainly Donatel, where, hey, we're going to play a light box and you're going to run the ball for three yards. We're eventually going to get you for zero yards. You're going to be in second second and 10. You're behind your schedule. And now we're already winning on defense, right? So I think that the Giants would be more than happy to see just those carries pile up. Where in the first game, I think I think it was Dalvin Cook's first carry that he had a, he did a good job. Or the offense kind of, it, everything came together and it was a good run. But after that, I think the Vikings rushing game was, you know, it's, it's just not the best rushing game in the league, right? I know that you mentioned their rushing EPA before the show. And yeah, they're, they have a lot of, failure in the rushing game and that's that is a problem so on the giants and that's why i keep thinking okay you know play your regular nickel nickel four two get those two high safeties 
force them to run the ball, right? If Kevin O'Connell wants to give Dalvin Cook 25 carries, the Giants are more than happy for that to happen. Because again, you know, like stop their best, live with the rest, right? If we can get multiple resources on Jefferson and you have to in turn, like stuff the ball into a really, really good defensive front, which I think they're capable of stopping the run from a light box. Like I wouldn't anticipate an increased rushing attempts just because it's just not a smart decision in my mind. Now, of course, I think like another thing we were talking about, like if, the running game has this huge success. That would be one, a big surprise for me and a really balanced shifting thing. I don't think it's worth it to really establish it right on the Vikings. Then I think it's, you know, let's get into heavy personnel, force you into those kind of base looks. If we can make life hard on your linebackers. And then when it comes passing time, you know, let's find our different ways to move Justin Jefferson around the formation where now we also, I know Hawkinson had a good game in week 16 as well, but it, it shouldn't be a plan that's really based on, hey, we, you know, we need to establish the run based on the Giants' defensive line. And I think that just Wink would be happy, I think, if if the Vikings are kind of running the ball into such a good defensive line all game. And I think you nailed I, that I because just based on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just based on what we've seen from the last matchup, right? Like you said it best on the preview podcast. They're not going to, we're probably not going to see too much difference, too many differences from this Vikings run game, despite the fact that the matchup was screaming for use power, use gap, use concepts that, attack the Giants in the perimeter. It was still a lot of zone runs. And now this matchup without Brian O'Neill, I just can't imagine like no Brian O'Neill. They're going to go to the run. And, he, and even if Wink's giving it to them with those lighter boxes, I just don't think it's going to happen. It's not you no know, O'Connell's nature. I, I think I saw something like he throws on 53.5% of first downs, which is like up there versus he, he wants to throw the football. This is what he wants to do. And he's going to do it. But I want to ask you about somebody you just mentioned. Cause I think when giants fans think of this game and they're wondering like, how are we going to stop this Vikings offense? The first thing is obviously Justin Jefferson, like goes about saying, but then TJ Hawkinson, because he just got open. He caught a lot of passes against the Giants, and he caught that key touchdown you referenced earlier. Just from when you reviewed the film of that game and you watched it, what were some of the ways the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell used attack the Giants with Hawkinson and different things you might think the Giants can adjust to take that away? What I really like about Hawkinson is he is just like he is a versatile, versatile player. So he he's able to attack you down the field. Where I think that it was a a, a PBU on the Giants end where he's running you know a deeper route where a DB gets his hand on it, and then he's part of those kind of specialty packages where he's running that route in the red zone. He's part of the screen game too, right? They ask him to do a lot of things in the run game. So that kind of queen on the chessboard is is so helpful for an offense where I would really like to see them get into double tight sets where they can get that next play on Noah huddle and where they have Hawkinson really just as a receiver. Cause like he has the ability to just pretty much play receiver. Right. I think that there's, there's been times during the season where, you know, the ball wasn't always falling his way or, you know, 50, 50 balls weren't in his, in his favor. But as on the giant side, like that is, I would be happier looking at the stat sheet and saying, okay, TJ Hawkinson had 150 yards, but Justin Jefferson only had, you know, 35. Yeah. where the the last game where, hey, they were both like above the century mark. Not that yards is an indication of a victory or anything, but if someone's going to beat you and it's TJ Hawkinson, hey, man, you're going to have a long day no matter what, right? But it still has to be, let's get our, you know, we can trust our second best coverage guy there where maybe, you know, a mismatch in favor for the Vikings, but that's a spot where that can, you know, just tip the scales one way or the other. But it can't be Justin Jefferson, right? Like you can't, it's easy, easy for me to say, hey, you can't let Justin Jefferson beat you, right? But it has to be an allocation of resources to him that would naturally open up Hawkinson. So on the Vikings end, you know, hopefully TJ Hawkinson's just locked in just just a bit extra this this week, you know, to be able to repeat that performance. So he's able to be used in so many different ways. And man, him being a trade in the middle of the season was just yeah. so great for the Vikings and really opened up a lot of different things for the offense. 
the way they used TJ Hawkinson on the second touchdown too. We brought up the first one, but that second one was a third and five situation. He was aligned in a bunch out by the, I think he was outside the numbers aligned to the number three and then just allowed number one and two to release vertical and just wheeled right around. And I actually thought Julian Love, who undercut the number one and the two, did a solid job getting himself back in the phase, but it just speaks to the dominance that TJ Hawkinson can play with, right? That guy is good. Yeah. And I know a lot of people around the league mm-hmm. don't really associate him with one of the better or best receiving tight ends in the league. Like, yeah, he's not Travis Kelsey or whatever, but that guy has the, the skill set to do what he did against the New York Giants in week 16. And I feel like the Giants, man i'm i'm wondering dan too what are they going to do to stop him when you're allocating so many eyes and so right. much bridge towards justin jefferson is he going to have those one-on-one matchups against julian love will xavier mckinney be that much of an upgrade over julian love from the last game how is landon collins going to play into it now that landon collins is kind of a little bit more ingratiated with the defense i'm not really a hundred percent certain how the giants yeah. are going to handle him I almost think they're going to do what Sean said earlier with the run game. Just let it, let him eat a little bit and eat is a, you know, it's not like we're letting him chew up 15 yards at a time. It's six, seven, eight at a time. Sort of what you were saying, Sean, before with the quick game for the giants offense, that's kind of a, I don't see, I, I would be surprised if they like go crazy trying to take away Hawkinson in this game. I still think the focus will be Jefferson, but you're right. You don't want to give up those plays. So it'll be interesting to see if they come up with anything different. I think that this game is so cool because, you know, as the Giants secondary is getting more healthy, the same way I think of the offensive line as a weak link system, sometimes in the secondary, you can kind of compare it to it where, hey, we get McKinney back and we get hopefully Dory back. We as in you guys, obviously, but that made everyone's life so much easier, right? And the opposite direction, if you lose your top corner, now, hey, the second guy has to become the number one. Maybe the nickel gets bumped out to number two and that affects three players instead of just one player. Right. And now on the now they can bump that down. Right. Where, as you said, you know, as Collins is getting more time in the system, that is a big, big, I think, a, like a great thing to have on defense. Right. Like it might be hard where Dory, it seems like maybe he's still a little banged up. And hey, your first assignment is Justin Jefferson. But even just having McKinney back where now everyone else's job maybe is just made one percent easier where you can put the most on your one of your better players and just, hey, you know, maybe it's it's a little bit better of a matchup for the Giants, which. I keep saying matchup league because I really do believe that. And that's something I think is going to help the Giants for sure. Wink Martindale brought that up in his press conference today, too. Someone was like, now that you have Xavier McKinney back, how can you employ him and use different types of coverages? And he's like, let's allow Kevin O'Connell to see it first before I. (laughs) (laughs) I love those those press. uh, This is the first year I like watched every single Vikings press conference. And it's so it's so interesting, like. Some people will like they'll let a word slip here or there where you're like, oh, like you are kind of hinting towards some things. A lot of it is coach speak. You know what I find coach funniest in them, in them throughout like all this time, any no matter who you listen to, the Vikings, the Giants, whatever, there's never been like one essentially person to come in and like ask an X and O and O's question like we've talked about here. Like just like work anything in, like at all. You never hear it. I will say I give I'm surprised no one's broken through. I give the Vikings guys credit. Alcos okay, like do. I think is doing a great job. Uh okay, I think okay. with off of that is even if you did like the, they're not going to give you a full answer they're right? not going to give so you I any think what i love i know that yeah, yeah that's that i think that's is the, the thing right because i i think about it too like man if i got in there and like i'd ask a donatella like one question to me if i was doing that like the off the record stuff would be so much more fun what would maybe, be the you one know, question you ask, i want to get that. that that's a good that's a good sound bite mm. i would I, I mean if i could I guess it's more of a nerdy thing, but I want to know like, how does he teach his safeties? Like when, like basically like what is their rule for like, if number two to a side doesn't go vertical. Cause I feel like sometimes they okay. can maybe not that they, Hey, you can have, I know that's like not 
the like most beautiful question ever to ask. But I just love like safety like play it. is a really, really interesting thing because it can it can play out so many different ways. And watching film sometimes is really, really hard because the safety's rules like are super versatile, right? And in his system in particular, like that weak safety can do so many different things. Where I would love to see, hey, if you're not getting a vertical threat from that second guy, like are you comfortable letting the cornerback play man on number one? And then let that safety really kind of go work front side, which they do it by design to trips. But I would, and I just like, this is something that I feel like I think about randomly a lot that it's, you know, like in it. two by two quarters looks where teams now are designing their offense, not their whole offenses, but they understand, hey, we need to attack cover four. Like we need to have different ways yeah. to deal with these two high shells. So just wanted to hear from Ed Donatel. And I know he, I'm sure he has ways, but just, you know, He's he's a very smart guy, and like I think the way he talks about defense is really cool, despite you know what your misgivings about it would be. So I just want to hear a little bit more about you know what what is your kind of thoughts on on like using the safety in different ways on the strong side as opposed to just the weak side. So yeah, that's, that's something across my mind. <laughs> I like it. I like the nerdy X's and O stuff. All right, Sean, thank you so much for giving us even more time this time. Let's wrap this up with your prediction for the game. We did it last time. We'll do it again. All three of us will get predictions. We'll start with you, Sean. All right, appreciate it. Let me go first. Uh, I think that, you know, 27-24 had a nice ring to it last time. I'm mm-hmm. going with the same score, but I am going to flip it. I think the Giants are going to win this one, uh, not just pandering to the to the great podcast crowd, but the things that fell in the Vikings' favor, which obviously I think the Vikings earned in different ways, but an interception, a forced fumble, a blocked punt is is such a huge swing in a game. That plus, of course, that field goal at the end, where I think that, you know, even if, if just one of those things doesn't fall in the Vikings favor, that makes the day a little bit longer, whether it's forcing overtime. And I keep saying it, I'm so happy with, you know, the job that Dable and Kafka have done with that offense. I think that getting the secondary healthy is going to be a big deal and just making life a little bit harder for the Vikings. So I think that because that first game was so tight, even if the Vikings crowd is a little bit louder, even if those guys are running a little sharper, the things that bounce in the Vikings' favor, to me, feel like, hey, maybe they're, those aren't things that can just be banked on. Where if the Giants play a clean game, this, is, I think, is the Giants' game to win. Or Giants' team, it's their game to win. So I'm going 27-24 Giants with some reticence on that one. All right, Nick, you're up. I think I'm going to go 26-23 Giants. A little bit off the you beat. always have the weird scores. I know. I like to do the weird scores because when weird <laughs> scores happen or I missed an extra point or something, extra I'm like point, right there. You know? My point is though, I don't really like the whole like score prediction thing as much as just like, what is it going to look like at the end of the game? And how are they going to get there? It could yeah. be 28, it could, you know, 27, whatever it is. I think the Giants will win in a one score game is what I'm more so kind of pushing for. I think the Giants, look, I'm, I'm not like saying they're definitely going to win or anything along those lines, but I think this is their moment right now. And I think they can beat the Vikings who are a little bit on the back pedal right now after getting their asses kicked by Green Bay and losing two of their starting offensive linemen. So I think the Giants can go in here, be well-prepared, be disciplined, and not shoot themselves in the foot like they did back on Christmas Eve. All right, I'll wrap it up here. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here, but I think the Giants are going to win this game 30-17. to I think they're going to win by multiple scores in this game. I just look at this matchup and I look at the Brian O'Neill injury, and that's the one that I'm just like staring at. And I'm just looking at this whole what's left of the Vikings offensive line right now. And I've just seen so many of these NFL games in the playoffs come down to who's just dominating or winning the trenches. And if they can get the dominant effort and the dominant matchup, I think they're going to get Giants D-line versus Vikings O-line. That will literally decide the whole game and make things difficult for Cousins the whole game. I think the Giants will have, my other bold prediction would be the Giants have a defensive score again in this game. They haven't had many, 
this season, but then it started with Landon Collins pick six. And I think not oh, Collins. Started with on Thibodeau. It started with the Thibodeau. You're right. The sack fumble six yeah. against Washington. Then Landon Collins. So they're starting to come in. Bun- We've always heard turnovers come in bunches and maybe pick uh, turnover touchdowns come, come in bunches as well. So I don't know who's going to get it, but defensive score and a two score victory for the Giants. All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining the Big Blue Banter podcast again. We look forward to having you on every time. Good luck to your Vikings this week, and I'll give you that, but not really. I <laughs> appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for having me on again. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.